This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, and with me, Cam Ruslan, today we have the returns of, uh, he is a uh, musician, he's also an educationalist, he is Asmil Yunor. Hello, great to be back. I was, was going to say you're also the Shakespeare of Bangi, uh, the, Dylan, <laughs> the Dylan of Bangi. Uh, and he is Matt Armitage, tell us what it is you do, and that get, 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 tell us as well, don't just... I just do stuff about the future. I help people to get things ready for the uncertainty of life beyond today. There you okay. go. That explains nothing. No, no, that's, that's better. So much better. So you you could help tell me what I'm going to have for dinner tonight or? or absolutely. Uh, um, okay. Absolutely nothing because I've frozen your bank accounts and I've stolen all your assets. <laughs> well... Well, you'll be disappointed. Um, so uh, our three topics, yes, our three topics today are being obsessive. And then topic number two is can machines create? And finally, topic number three is toxic leisure. So uh, topic number one, um, perhaps this is a cry for help. I'm not sure. But I, 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 I tend to be, I don't know about you guys, and I want to find out, very obsessive when I find something that I want to be obsessive about. So uh, all my life, I've been a, a big fan of the Beatles, but I have become in more recent times utterly obsessed by said Beatles. Um, I've just finished listening to a podcast that talked about Ringo Starr's drumming for three hours, and it was fantastic. Um, <clears throat> I watched the Get Back documentary, which is eight hours long. I watched it four times. And talking to you now, I want to watch it again. Okay. Um, I mean, these are just this is just the tip of the iceberg. But have I mean, have you? No, is it okay? <laughs> is there something wrong with me? But I mean, haven't we all listened to the same song again and again and again and again? Um, perhaps even watched the same movie. I have a friend of mine reads the same book again and again and again. And um, I don't know. Is it is it healthy? I mean, is it is it a cry for help? Is it a, is it a desire to return to the womb? Is it a need to stay in the safest place that you've found, and not challenge yourself ever again? Uh, Asmil, I suspect that you have been can be obsessive, and I suspect Matt is not. It's just a guess. But uh, Asmil, would you join me on the listening to the same song again and again and again? Yeah, I have my own obsessions, but. Uh, yeah, it's a matter of time. I think the issue is always time, right? How much can you yeah. can you delve? Um, but that sounds like pretty much the the personality personality type for academia, really. Even though I'm mm-hmm. academic, I feel like I'm sorry you're looking in. Whether I admire or I'm, I'm afraid of looking at academics, or you know, that's what a PhD is, right? You you get really in depth, like you could do a PhD thesis about get back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you watched it four times. So again, um, I think that's healthy obsessions, but but I like it being obsessed. Like currently, I tell you, that I'm obsessed with Pearl Jam drummers for for whatever reason. I don't I I play punk drums, but I'm I admire drummers. I've got good relationships with with drummers, but I don't know about Pearl Jam because they have so many drummers, and I'm They're just obsessed. Four, haven't they? Four drummers. Four, four, yeah, four of them. And there's YouTube. I just discovered there's YouTube channels. Guys comparing the the four different drummers and who's the best and just looking liking looking at the comment section. That's about it, really. It's not like finding the drum patterns and me wanting to learn drums. It's just like I find that that very interesting. That that you know, so that's my current obsession. So I'm listening to the albums back and 
Hmm. And then listening online, oh, is this drumming better? And there'll be people making this comparison. And I find it interesting. I love being obsessed. But I'm, I'm very seasonal with my obsession. You seem like a really long-term obsessive. I, you know, normally I, I am seasonal, but it's actually the Get Back documentary that, I mean, normally I'd like, I'll do it for six months and then I'll leave the Beatles alone for maybe five years. Uh, oh, okay. But, okay. but it's been, and then I'll go to David Bowie. I mean, it's one or the other. Um, uh, but I haven't returned to David Bowie yet. It's just Beatles, Beatles, Beatles. Matt, um, uh, are you on the same page as me and uh, Asmil? I think so, but I, I tend to get obsessed maybe more about sort of broader topics. So, you know, that I I am obsessed with reality TV. So it's not necessarily watching the same programs over again, over and over again, but it's watching things within that genre. And uh, I'm about to say something that may make Cam's heart stop, but I listened to the Beatles revolver for the first time about two weeks ago. (gasps) (laughs) Absolutely. Because to me, to me, the Beatles have always been much more of a singles band. So I like the singles, but I've never really listened to, to any of their, their album. So I I tend to like listen to uh genres of things. Uh and uh, according to Spotify, um I'm obsessed with a genre called chamber psychedelia. And I've no idea what that is. It's just that I happen to like um like Australian psychedelic rock. So apparently that's that's chamber chamber psych. Um but yeah I get I get stuck in those um kind of grooves as well and also um which will again probably make cam's heart stop i don't think that there is any jason statham film that i haven't watched at least twice (laughs) i i I have another friend of mine who is also obsessed by jason statham movies i don't get it i don't get it myself i I watched but if i I watched one last night again but equivalent, Liam Neeson comes along. I will watch. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm actually the the same with him as well. I even watched the uh, stupid ice road one where he's stumbling around and uh, uh, pulls a a tanker truck out of the ice with just a pulley, despite the fact that he's seventy years old and can't walk. Yeah. I'll, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh, but Asmil, are we? I mean, is this safe? Are we? Is it? Is it a good thing? Uh, I don't think it's good or bad, man. I think people should be obsessed by something. I think if you're not obsessed by something, I think there's something wrong with you. I, but are, yeah, but are we just going for safety? We found the thing we like, and we're going to do it again and again and again and again. We're like, uh, we're like, we're like, you know, those experiments where the rat rat is in the the, the uh, maze, uh, and I mean, they press the button it, and the food comes out. Unless your your daily life is affected, like you know, you're not showering, not eating. You lose your job and you're just watching Get Back for the hundredth time, then I think it's a problem, lah. But I mean, you, seem, you, you seem very balanced, you know, <laughs> even though you don't think you are. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Matt, Matt, is it safe? Is it safe? Are we not? Are we? Are we? I I stopped listening to new new music a long time ago, and, and a lot of people like you know, um, I'm sure Asmil would be horrified by that. But I um, oh, that's fine, man. I don't think there should be some obsession about just new music. No, I no, I mean it, it's. As long as you still have that sense of discovery, I think when you yeah. get obsessed with something, if you're finding something new in it, I think there's no issue with that at all. I, I mean, I like listening to a lot of new music, but the things that lodge in my head are all songs from the 80s and 90s. You know, if you ask me to recall songs, they're all from that period of my sort of teens and early 20s. 
even though it's not necessarily the music I'm listening to to now. Uh, so you know, I there's the kind of two two sides to it. I think. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna yeah. we're gonna wrap up this one. But before we go, Matt, I'm almost too scared to ask. So you listened to the Beatles Revolver album um, for the first time two weeks ago. What, what, what did you think of it, Matt? I, I thought it wasn't bad. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. But it was that really is high good. Praise was, from Matt Armitage. Yeah, I, I, I really did. Uh, I really did enjoy it. Actually, the um, I think it's the super deluxe edition. So. It was some remastered thing. But again, I didn't have an attachment to the original scratchy mono recording. So I was quite happy to listen to the newly remastered. We've discovered this 13 layers down in the tracks kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, phew. Okay. So, Matt, yeah, thank you. Uh, so we move on uh, to topic number two Matt Armitage, can machines create? Well, I mean, we would talking about obsessions and I didn't want to give the uh, the game away but um I've kind of been obsessed with uh this text to image generating AI called midjourney so basically um you ask it what you want to create so you say you know uh, I want Miley Cyrus starring in Blade Runner and the machine creates this photorealistic image of Miley Cyrus standing against this kind of backdrop that could be a still from the movie. You can do all kinds of all kinds of things with it. And I've been using it probably for about the last sort of three or four months. And just the progress that it's made in those last four months is incredible. So it's gone from prompts where you'd give it and you'd get this kind of cartoony kind of scroll that sort of resembled the prompt you put in to something that you could actually um, put as an image. I mean, for example, I recreated Nelson Mandela as an international DJ um, just to just to see what what it can do. And it gave me a picture of Nelson Mandela behind some decks um, with a bunch of like Roots Reggae re uh, records behind him. Um, I mean, it's astonishing what it can do and recently um this uh thing called chat gpt has come out which is another chat bot I've so this is a that. what is that about okay so basically uh it it's it's a chat bot it's from the company OpenAI, and you put in a prompt you can ask it to do almost anything for you so you can ask it to write you a summary on the history of the Middle East over the last three years. You can specify whether you want it in 50 words or 500 words or a thousand words, and it will output something on pretty much any topic that you want. A bit like a, a Google that gives you a summary of the information, um, but you can also ask it to do things for you. So you can ask it to write sort of social media posts. People have used it to uh, suggest um, plot lines for TV shows like The Office. Uh, so it gives scenarios that the characters can interact in. Um, people have been using it to write sort of basic uh, screenplays and theatre scripts. So it's quite an incredible tool. And the other thing you can use it for is just straightforward uh, rewriting badly written prose. So it'll turn it into 
grammatically correct uh, English at this point, but hopefully other languages at some point. So people are getting kind of very confused with these machines in terms of what the lines are between the machine creating and the person inputting the prompts creating. So really, I think I'm especially I, I wanted to ask um, Asmil, um, with music, we're seeing AI coming in there as well, creating backing tracks, even analyzing music so that it can be so-called optimized for streaming services. But, but what do you feel about this kind of encroach of AI into the creative sphere? And is there a way for you know AI to be creative? Well, I think it's always a question of output, right? The, the the end the end output is this song that an AI created. Um, so as a consumer, maybe wow, it's amazing. It's better than you know whatever. Maybe because you know the the AI latches onto this different data, you know, and understands us. But at the same time, as a as a, as a as a songwriter artist, I enjoy the process. So so it's not a worry from for me because. My process is what I find meaning in that the output so happens to be an album, a song, etc. Right. So I'm fascinated by this too. I find it very interesting. At first I was like, what well, Terminator is taking over, man. But at the same time, but I find it very exciting because you know, um, so questions again back, it's like science fiction, right? So what makes us human? You know, what what is it about? What what about creation that we we so clung closely to ourselves and thought is completely ours, but here is, you know something that we created and, and they are doing it better. Um, I, I think it's a good challenge to, to, to everybody who's, who's, whose lives are kind of like uh, enroached by AI. So I got no problem with that, actually. I think it's fascinating. I saw some of my colleagues also did that whole thing of the, the, the AI image, right? It's mm. fascinating, man. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah, but, but Asmil, your students could go through their entire academic life and, and use this chat thingamajig Pumping out the essays, um, yeah, they can. And, but, and you, uh, you would have, you'd be no wiser. No, but I can tell them. Okay, take a piece of paper out now. Take a pen and write an essay. Don't type it on somewhere. But do you, are, but, but but is that actually part of the curriculum though? Isn't you can. It? It, no, not curriculum. Part of your teaching methods. There's so many different mm-hmm. teaching methods, right? To to bypass this. Because already now you see students are really bad at essay writing because of you know they, this just a deluge of information. I will give books. I will tell them. This is a book. Hey, take this. Put in a reference. And they don't even do that. They just Google something. Um, and then so they can't cut and paste it. Can't paste it. So I think we've got to go back to the basics. I think the real roots of it is really writing literally and, you know, having piece of paper, putting it down. Um, yeah. Then from, I think you'll, from that, I think then you'll appreciate what this AI is doing, actually. Because, Matt, so it's, a, it's about the input, isn't it? The inputting. I mean, like I was saying about the obsession thing. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. sitting there and I'm inputting. Mm. What I then do with that in my brain is unique to me, kind of. Well, it 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 is to, it is to a certain point. I mean, what one of the yeah. things that I've been uh, kind of explaining um, actually to some clients this week was um, that you've got to look at these as tools rather mm-hmm. than solutions. So yeah. you can't rely on the machine to do it for you if you give it sort of quality information in. If your inputs are good. Yes. then it can create something that's kind of reasonable around those inputs. So, for example, somebody who uh, 
can't write very well, but has good ideas, can put all of those ideas down and the machine will help to give you an output that's in a kind of uh, rational and well-written and straightforward form. So in, in that way, it's actually kind of helping their thought process because that person has a, a problem with the communication aspect. Um, but I wanted to, to ask Asmil as, as well, in terms of, you know, because one of the things we see, especially, uh, again, especially with music, is that the the composer still has those inputs. They're writing the melody, they're writing the chord structures and, and progressions. If you leave it to uh, an AI, say, to create the arrangements and the backing tracks, does that kind of enhance or diminish the creativity of the piece? I would say if it's something commercial, because you have a lot of data there, right? I think it, it can highly enhance that. So, you, so you know, maybe a label or producer wants to, you know, just make sure that this becomes a pop hit. Then I think it'll be it'll, it'll fit that. I think it works really well in a kind of like commercial capitalist um, uh, framework. Um, but in terms of, let's say, if you want somebody to to do noise like Morris Bow or something, and AI. Can generate it, but but at the same time, part of the enjoyment is like, how the hell did this guy come up with that noise? And you want to see that. Well, AI yeah, can generate it, but can we actually really see it? So so I think the context is very important, I think, with, with the output of an AI. Because anything that I think involves finances, you know, like like creating a pop song and image, etc. I think in that very capitalistic setting, I think the AI can be very useful. Because we'll just rationalize everything. You know, into into this 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 product, right? Yeah. So yes, I think in that sense, yes. Um, yeah. So it kind of goes to to Cam's point that it's kind of about experiencing the process as well, especially when you look at those kind of more experimental artists. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, also like you know the Get Back documentary is eight hours of watching <laughs> them do process. Yeah. So now with AI, you would see uh, one second of a person pressing a button. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and I mean uh, that's what's fascinating about the Beatles. They were using the studio as a as a as an instrument, and that that's why I think whenever you reflect back on the Beatles album, is that you know you might listen to it and somebody now you know a young dude listening to it now they might what's so impressive about that? Yeah. But then we start digging and understanding the the kind of uh, technology they had then and coming out with that and that the, all the systems and processes you have now is a result of these guys tinkling over the studio in the 60s, then some appreciation will arise. If if they ever, I'm sure people will have a spirit of inquiry. There will always be some, like my artist, not necess- young, not young man not, like him. Not necessarily <laughs> that, that spirit Finding of inquiry. The <laughs> that spirit of inquiry I find is dying. Um, and that's, I think universities uh, have a role to, to make students just be interested in inquiring and being curious. It's not about rankings and all this stuff. Yeah. So Matt, just, just to conclude, normally you come on here and you give us some apocalyptic vision and, <laughs> and, and then just leave us. Sorry. <laughs> it, um, in this occasion, on this occasion, uh, are, are we should we should we be afraid? Very afraid? I don't. I don't think we should. I mean, one of the the kind of fun things that um, that well, I, I I guess it's fun in inverted commas that I've been using, say, ChatGPT for this week is I've I've had to be doing some kind of copywriting um, for a client. So one of the things that I've done is also do a version in 
chat GPT to see if my version is better. Because that's, you know, if I'm delivering something to the client, I need my version to be better than the version a machine can do. So I've kind of used it as a, a check and a balance because the machine can get it to, you know, a kind of 85 or 90% acceptable level. It's, you know, a little bit generic. So if my version doesn't hum along a lot faster uh, and, you know, with more zing and personality than than the machine version, that's quite a useful challenge for me as well. And, and one that can be done very, very quickly. So well, hang on, do you use a AI software to judge which is better? No, no. I, I mean, basically the, the points that I start with. So, you know, if I'm, so the paragraph that I'm writing or the section that that I'm writing, I just put some of those same prompts into the machine and then compare its output text to the text that I've created to see which one I think feels better. Um, and but, if, if, if I think the machines feels better, then I rewrite mine to beat the machines. But the client will soon be using machines to read and judge your work. And the machine will have its algorithm to say, to recognize the goodness of machine generated things over that crappy human stuff. Well, <laughs> there, there's a possibility of that. But even um, OpenAI announced this week that they're launching a, a piece of code that will recognize text that is generated from their machine. So people will be able to actually find out if you've cheated on the process and if you've done it yourself. But even, uh, you know, one of the first things I did with the machine was ask it, will you replace writers? And the machine outputted and said, no, because I have no ability to create. And you trust the machine. That's your problem, Matt Armitage. <laughs> the machine answered it's out of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, that, that's why you'll, you'll join the machines when, when, when they take over. What are you talking about? <laughs> Their programming is derived from me. <laughs> there you go. They all look and sound like Matt Armitage. Um, okay. Well, in a moment, though, we're going to go something presumably completely different here on A Bit of Culture, which will be Toxic Leisure on BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Raslan, Asmil Yunor, and Matt Armitage. And now, Asmil, Toxic Leisure. What's that? Yeah, Toxic Leisure, from, from what I understand, is just the idea that having too much leisure time can be bad for you. But I think, but this is also one of the things that I'm all often obsessed with is this this supposedly binary divide between work and leisure, right? All these are all you know is because of the industrial revolution, and I find it fascinating because we start to tie in our identity with our work and what we do for leisure, and you 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 heighten that now with um with, with not just social media, but I think just generally speaking about digital media, how how everybody's so obsessed about showing off how leisurely their leisure time is. <laughs> and you're like, look, I'm by the beach. Uh, I'm doing nothing. Yeah, no, but, but, you know, but, but at the same time, I found this, 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 um, this study in, in a journal called Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, in which uh, it states that uh, an individual's well-being increases in correlation with their free time, but only to a certain point. So in other words, Having too little free time isn't healthy, but having too much diminishes your well-being too. Mm. Because I think it's we're, we're tied in with what we do. You know, I think as human beings, you know, it's like um, whatever maybe you you see a bit of yourself in in what we, what we produce, right? 
And I think that's that's gone gone kind of missing in in this very corporatized world, right? Where I think about corporate culture is about the kind of the human, not dehumanizing, but about about it's about putting your personality behind. And here, your role is this. And I always find it interesting when when you know, especially corporate people, you know, behave. I find that interesting. For me, it's like going to the zoo. I like going to <laughs> to corporate space and see how people behave. I seldom get into those 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 spaces, but even universities now are very corporatized. So you do see this 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 obsession about time. And you know, my colleagues say, oh, I have no time. No, well, can't wait to go on holiday. You know, it's like I believe in in the sense that you know, like how how to how to there's there's different um approaches to eating, right? With the common thing, we have like three main meals a day. Some fitness gym would say, oh, just nibble bit by bit, like five, six times in a day. I like that latter approach when it comes to leisure. Like leisure can be like right now. It's like, okay, I've got 15 minutes. I'm just going to do nothing. Just uh, have my leisure. It doesn't have to be this block of time. So but I guess that also depends on what you do for a living, I suppose. Yeah, yeah you, I mean, you got, I got 15 minutes. I'm going to watch Lawrence of Arabia. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever <laughs> much you can. Yeah, just... Well, <laughs> put your face into the screen, and you know, yeah. immerse, you know, um, because our time. I think in, in this day and age, uh, time is is probably the largest asset that is slowly being chipped away from us, um, whether we realize it or not. You know, technology is supposed to to increase productivity, but also it's starting to infringe. You know, um, you you get things done quick, but then other new things come in quick equally, right? Yeah. So so I find that. I I think this I is think, a. a um... A kind of a topic of conversation that's been happening, as you mentioned earlier, industrial revolution age. Like, mm. you know, Marx himself sort of commented on this. But yep. uh, Matt, do you uh, do you have a solution? I don't know if I have a solution, but the, I mean, it's interesting as we you brought up that that proof because there's kind of a converse proof in economics that um, that workers increase uh, their supply of labor as wages go up until they reach a certain point, at which point they prefer leisure time over increased hours. So um, kind of reminded me of, uh, of that a little bit. Hmm. It, it kind of presupposes, though, that um, we're, we're going to hate our work, that, that work <laughs> cannot be leisure. I mean, I, I used to work in film. I don't anymore. But I loved it. I loved it. And I worked all hours. I was younger then. Um, I, I was paid okay. But it was, I didn't really feel the need for leisure time because it was like, this is just so great. <laughs> yeah, you're on a high, right? Adrenaline, yeah. right? Pro yeah. Production, yeah. But I guess it's kind of rare. In fact, <clears throat> Asma, you're the, me and Matt, we're, we're freelancers. You're the only one who actually works in a kind of corporation. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you clock on, you have to turn up to teach lessons at a certain time. Yeah. And you're the one but, who's got shoulder length. No, but no, it's down the back of your <laughs> your. It's halfway down your back, your hair. <laughs> I've always believed all these things is what you make it. All right, I think it's always relative. There is a there is a kind of a, a norm or a culture that that that, that kind of reminds you you got to be this. You got to you know. But I think this maybe my punk background is essentially that. I think that the pockets of resistance can appear. As long as you're not your productivity is not not uh, interrupted or disrupted, but you don't have to tell anybody about what it takes for you to be to to be you know, to to give quality 
output. You know, nobody needs to know that. But I find that interesting because now there's a lot of paperwork to show proof. You know, in universities now, there's a trust deficit from management to the academics. Like, there's just so much things. Oh, you have to prove this, prove that. So that takes a lot of leisure time away, right, for what you can do. Um, but otherwise, you can also think like, okay, what, what is the basic requirement of this paperwork, for example? Do I need to really synthesize ideas or is it just, can I just give some, some generic answers? So if generic answers would suffice, go with that. Why, why bust your brains over something that, that doesn't require? And, you know, I, because I think that whole corporate culture has, has really, I think, ideologically affected a lot of people, especially... I think even, if, especially if you're middle class and probably ed- university educated, ironically. Yeah. Matt, Matt, you wanted a. Yeah, I think there's also a generational shift as well. I mean, I think what we saw with the kind of millennial culture was very much um, this idea of hustling, mm. um, finding your identity, finding your passion through work. You know, we had this culture of people who would uh, accept lower wages for a better job title because they're thinking about the next company they're moving to the next way that they're going to progress up. And I think with, with Gen Z, we're seeing kind of a reaction against that. We're seeing people who see their, their supply of labor as simply an exchange. They're like, okay, I will do this. I mean, we, uh, I, I think Cam, we've mentioned it on the show before that the quiet quitting movement, the idea of, not going above and beyond in your job, just doing what your contract says you're supposed to do, not covering for somebody else, not giving free services on top of what you're being paid for. So I think there's this this cultural difference between what people expect from uh, from their working life and then the amount of time and energy and commitment they then give to their leisure activities. So I, I you know, it's a, it's a generational shift, I think. Asma, you were nodding away there, and you've 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 taught uh, waves of different um, students over the years. I don't want to call them generations, but you know, each year must be it is what it is, I guess. Yeah. Subtly different in its quality. <laughs> uh, you kind of agreed with what uh, Matt was saying. Yeah, I mean, the first thing you can see now is because uh, of digitalization. Like when I was studying film, I couldn't I couldn't freelance because everything's analog. You need this hardware. Now students are already freelancing in their first year especially because they can edit stuff and you know there's demand right some influencer needs something you know so and you know that 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 concept of the gig economy and the, the sense of yeah, it's an exchange purely that you know um it's increasing but at the same time i think uh there's also need they're, they're looking i think gen z's aren't necessarily this is what we are i think they're they're on a journey yeah because we've laid out everything the, in this modern industrial world for this generation, and got to give that cut, 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 cut them some slack. I mean, like they 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 just have an overload of so many things. You know, I, I empathize with it with the Gen Z, especially yeah. students. Like, it's just crazy. There's so much things, and yeah, you know, this is definitely I, I, affecting. I agree because you know my my topic, the obsession thing. I I was aware of the fact that um, it's I'm able to be obsessive because I have that leisure time. Hmm. Uh, I shouldn't have that leisure time because I'm supposed to be doing work. <laughs> but uh... no, no, but, but let me let me give you an example. You can still be obsessed if I say you have to commute for 
one and a half hours in your car. Well, but that's a, that's the so thing. What, because... That's an album. That's an album you can listen to <laughs> Revolver every day. Yeah, <laughs> Matt. You listen, yeah, Matt. Listen to what he says. But uh, <laughs> uh, we we will be listening to Sergeant Pepper's next. I'm going to watch. I, I did. I actually listened to Revolver twice. Oh my god! I liked it so much. I listened to it again. Tomorrow never knows. It's fantastic. Um, but the thing is that um, now, when I was young, when I was the age that these people are now, there was very little information. Yeah. Whereas now you can tap into huge amounts of information, and you have yeah. to process it, and that's input that you yeah. kind of feel it needs to go in, and where will it end? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's why there's a desire to shut down, right? Um, I remember. 15 years ago, I was by the Japan for the Japan Foundation thing, and this professor gave a talk about how the younger generation are rejecting the work ethics of their forefathers, their parents, right? They're doing the maniacal jobs. That's why you go to Japan, you go to family, man. This is all these young people. I played at a venue once. There was there was a lot of architecture books, and I asked the owners, like, whose book on architecture is it? Oh, it's the barista. He, he studied <laughs> architecture, but he rejected it. He just wanted to be a barista. So... So in a way, I'm trying to allude to that this, this whole generation, in a way, is not necessarily rejecting. But I guess this idea about, about linking it back to a desired toxic leisure is the idea that, um, you know, do, is this, this, I think it's, it's a symptom of, I think, society really wanting to, to shut, shut, shut off somehow the desire to, but un, not allowed to. Hence, there is this fantasy world where I can just do nothing. But after a while, I think a few days, you'll probably be bored. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It'd be like winning, if you won the lottery and you won 10 million. <laughs> What's next, right? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 I, I would not be bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you'd invest it all in some AI of you. Kind of. um, I mean, look, at, I, think, I think that's our obsession with pets. I think we love our pets because they just do leisurely things. But we forget, too. That it's you know, work for them. It's work. It's work. I mean, like, uh, you know, a cat is nocturnal. They, we're awake and they look lazy to us, but you wake yeah. up in the middle of the night and just look at cats. That is happening, man. There's a there's a fiesta going on out there in the neighborhood. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because yeah, their senses are different. Um, okay. Well, well I, all right. Well, so um, conclusion, Asmil, toxic uh, leisure, good or bad? I don't think it's good or bad, but I think we need to fight for leisure time and don't define it in that narrow binary of work and leisure. Okay. Find those little pockets of, of leisure at work. I think that's satisfying, man. You know. What, what do you mean, like going out for a cigarette? No, no. Yeah, that, I mean, you, you see, you see any guy behind a computer, you think they're doing work? No. No, I, <laughs> exactly. I know better than that. So there, there, there are pockets of resistance. <laughs> Nobody wants to admit it. Yeah. They're not doing any work. Um. Okay, uh, well, we move on then to the final part of the show, recommendations. We recommend something that we think might be of interest. I'm going to go first. So, um, okay, Beatles Obsession. Um, I, I, this, is, this recommendation is purely for the obsessives out there, the Beatles Obsessives. If you're a first time, if you're like Matt Armitage, just listen to their finest album for the first time two weeks ago at the age of 50-something. Um, then don't, don't listen to this podcast. But it's called Something About the Beatles. Um, and they... Well, the, the 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 very knowledgeable host Robert Rodriguez and his guests will talk about the Beatles, a particular subject, for hours and hours and hours. <clears throat> and so, for the likes of me, it's fantastic. Um, so that's the podcast called Something About the Beatles. There's another one also called um, Another Kind of Mind, which is a song from Matt. You'll recognize it. It's uh, a song on yeah, Revolver. 
Oh, I was going to gonna say my life. Um, uh, never mind the uh, never mind the whatever it was by the Sex Pistols, right? Oh, anyway, <laughs> and um, so it's another kind of mind which is done by two academics, and that was that one's very interesting too. So that's my uh, recommendation. Uh, then uh, Matt Armitage, what's your recommendation? My recommendation uh, is yet another uh, reality style obsession that I've dropped into. Uh, there is a, a place in the UK called Rufford Ford. It's uh, one of the last locations where a river still runs across a quite busy road in the UK. So it goes from having you know a few centimeters of water to having a meter, a meter and a half. And there are people who go down there and shoot every day watching the cars go through the Ford at different water levels. Uh, so obviously you're watching it always in the hope that somebody's going to go through and their car is going to stop and they're going to break down in the, the middle of the water, which happens surprisingly regularly because most people have no idea how to drive through these things. But the the thing about it is actually how incredibly peaceful it is most of the time, because most of the time, all you hear is the sound of the water and the sound of the river. So you're just listening to the water burble along and it's quite relaxing. And then every, uh, you know, every few seconds, a car goes through and there's a big splash of water and it's like, yay, the car stopped. So you get these kind of relaxing moments and then these kind of <laughs> dopamine rushes as, as somebody's car breaks down. So it's fantastic. Um, I've been watching them mostly on uh, a YouTube channel called uh, Tom Sunderland, uh, as he's one of the uh, uh, sort of least vindictive of the people who go down there. But yeah, I would recommend videos of cars Sorry, going how, through water. How long, how long are these? Uh, how long? Are Each they? video is about 10, 15 minutes. Okay. I thought maybe like two, 10 two hours. or three times a week. Oh, no. I mean, there are compilations. It's the kind of thing, you know, you can put on in the background and it's like white noise. It's just quite relaxing to have on in the background. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, so that's Rufford, Ruff Ford, Ford. Rufford Ford. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, that is obsessive, Matt. That's very obsessive. And I know it's completely obsessive. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, Asmil, what's your recommendation? Uh, okay. Just trying to reflect what, what my habits have been lately. And I've been. Um, Actually, really drawn into all these dash cam YouTube channels. All right. Um, especially <laughs> Malaysian <laughs> roads, specifically. You just Matt, watch for I could watch for hours. Just see. one is it's it's a lesson for me uh -huh. because um, you you understand oh okay what happens if if a car swerves and what you do what you shouldn't do okay that's great it's not it's not so much obsession about looking at you know car getting trash is is really just reaffirming the my suspicion that you know our driving skills have gone down the drain in the last decade uh, even more so now and it's just for the proof so yeah um i'm just obsessed i prefer the ones without the commentary there's some smart guys trying to have commentaries on it but i rather just like pure cinema verite in small <laughs> bit size <laughs> moments here yeah. my, my my same question to, to matt how long are these things <laughs> Oh, some of them are super long, like half an hour, 45 minutes. I, I watch a lot of them as well. Yeah, and you were the, nodding very enthusiastically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the best one I ever saw was one of the Russian ones a few years ago. And this, uh, basically, a, a telegraph wires had come down over an intersection. And the car drove across. Oh. And somehow the wire got 
wrapped around the the front axle and the car did one of those Hollywood movie flips. It just drove forward and suddenly launched up into the air and turned backwards because it had this cable around its axle. And you're just like, what on earth just happened? And you actually have to watch that clip about four or five times before you can figure out yeah. how this car just suddenly flips. Yes, I've seen that. It's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is the obsessive uh, edition of Viticulture. <laughs> Um, I think this whole episode has been a cry for help from the three of us. <laughs> okay, so where do we find these uh, videos, uh, Asmil? Just, just Google. I mean, they go YouTube and just look for Dashcam Malaysia. It's it, updated, it, I think, weekly. Yeah. Or, yeah. It's the Malaysian ones that you like then. You don't yeah. go to Russia. You... Yeah, it started out with a Russia. I mean, because they, they, they have mandatory Dashcam. So I remember early on it was Russian. And then suddenly like, um, then I would let this is why I let YouTube just go mad with the suggestions. And suddenly, once appeared Malaysian one, I, I just got hooked and I just kept on coming back to that. Yeah, do you have a dash cam yourself? No, well, maybe you should. Yeah, maybe you should. yeah, it's just yeah. a good idea. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But okay. in, interestingly, the the you know, there was that um comet or meteor in Russia a few years ago, the one that went boom and broke saw, lots of I windows saw that stuff. one, dash cam, yeah. One, yeah. 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 It was caught mostly on dash cams, but yeah. also it had the the fellow driving the car. He could see the comet, and he was completely disinterested. <laughs> <laughs> he just carried on driving, whistling a tune, couldn't care less. Um, so uh, okay, well that that brings us to the end of this week's show. I was going to say now uh, before I thank anybody. I'm going to ask uh, producer Hanif if we can play out with a piece of music from the album Revolver that Matt Armitage has just listened to. It's the final track. It's called Tomorrow Never Knows. It's epochal. Um, and young people out there, if you've never heard it before, try, try to think, how did they make that sound back in 1966? How did they record that? Um, and it's, it's a real head scratcher, but it's a magnificent uh, tune. And um, uh, so I'd like to thank uh, Asmil Yunor, Thank you, Ben. Who will be grabbing leisure time as and when he can. <laughs> and, and I have to, you have got to take my word for it, folks, out there in Radio Land, that he is real. He is not an AI. Uh, Matt <laughs> Armitage. Thanks, Cam. I am the son of Max Headroom. <laughs> wow, that's for, that's for all the listeners, that one. Uh, and, uh, and myself, Cam Ruslan, and... Please join us next week. But for now, we're going to play out with Tomorrow Never Knows, if producer Hanif agrees, uh, here on A Bit of Culture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.